All right, so let's talk about this tweet. I accidentally broke Titan's Twitter earlier this morning, and it really has made my day. Um, Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. You can follow me on Twitter at Easton Freeze. Welcome in. Happy Friday, Friday, June the 9th. We are cooking. June is already flying by, and I appreciate all of you that are tuning into the show, whether it is live or via podcast or via YouTube. Thank you for being here. We're going to talk some Titans today and then get out of here and get to the weekend. We've got a number of fun topics to get into. No producer JT today. He is uh, busy working on something that is very important, uh, which definitely isn't him just hiding from the fact that his Mets got swept by the Braves this week. Tough scene for him and any Mets fans you may know. Um, but no, he, he really is attending to some things, and he'll be back on Monday, as usual. Just me today, but we've got a number of things to talk about from primarily Minicamp this past week, three straight days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of Tennessee Titans minicamp before we get into the real dog days of the summer, as well as, yes, that DeAndre Hopkins tweet of mine that made my Friday morning a lot of fun. Um, we'll talk about that and do some fun show and tell. Is it silly to spend time on the show talking about a tweet and responses to a tweet? Yes, absolutely. Are we going to do it today? Yeah, 100% we are because I find it really funny. Um, and then on the warm-up today, a Dalvin Cook take for you that is tangentially related to the Titans and I think provides some insight on the Titans and Derrick Henry's position within the league. Before we dive in, those of you that are tuning in live, if you could do me a quick favor, just repost, retweet, uh, like, share, Send send this link to a friend or some family. Uh, I would consider it a personal favor. We want to get as many folks in here as possible. And then, of course, if you want to join the conversation today, head on over to Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page. So if you're watching on Facebook, if you're watching on Twitter, you got to go over to YouTube, search Broadway Sports Media or the Hot Read Podcast. You'll find this live stream. And in the comments of this live stream, that is where you can communicate with the show. We've already got a couple of people Already in the chat, D Good pointing out that uh, JT's not here, asking if he's okay. Very kind of you, D Good. Is it because of the Metropolitans? Yes, indeed it is. Uh, his poor Mets are uh, not doing great right now. Not doing great. Diesel pointing out that man, JT, has the easiest job in the world. I don't know. Wrangling me and, and producing a show that that uh, that I'm a part of is is not as easy as you'd think. I, I am uh, scatterbrained, and he keeps me level and everything organized. So his job is not as easy as you might think. Today, let's start with the warm-up. And, uh, and and by the way, in, in the chat, if you have any questions, thoughts, comments from training camp that aren't even along the lines of the topic we're discussing, feel free, shout those out, um, and, and I'd be happy to answer anything that I can. The warm-up today, however, we're going to talk about Dalvin Cook, who it was announced yesterday on Thursday that the Minnesota Vikings would be releasing Dalvin Cook from their roster Today on Friday, and that news did come down earlier this afternoon that Dalvin Cook has, in fact, been released. Um, kind of weird for them to announce a day ahead of time that they're going to release him and when they're going to do it. That is translated to, hey, last chance. If anybody wants to trade for Dalvin Cook, we're about to cut him. So if you want him, we're all ears. We're open for business. Nobody ended up taking that opportunity. And so Dalvin Cook is now a free agent. 
rumors are he's going to end up probably somewhere in the AFC East with the maybe the Patriots, maybe the Dolphins. We will, maybe the Jets, we'll see. Um, maybe the Bills. I mean, you could justify any of those teams going and getting a running back. But if you look at some of the numbers, and that's what I was doing yesterday, just how well has has this player, Dalvin Cook, played in the past couple of seasons? You know, it's pretty obvious to anybody that pays attention to the football why they released him, that he was, you know, they're, they're thinking he's over the hill a little bit. Um, he's had some injury concerns, had a hard time staying on the field consistently in recent, uh, years. Uh, but let's pull up and I charted this out yesterday. This is, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see on the screen, a comparison of Dalvin cook and Derek Henry's numbers from the past four seasons. Now, if I'm not mistaken, both players have been to the pro bowl, which if you, if you know me, it doesn't really matter much, right? The pro bowl is kind of a joke, but both players have been to the pro bowl in all four of the past four seasons, except for Derrick Henry in 2021, when he missed the Pro Bowl because he missed half the season with his foot injury. Looking at um, these numbers, though, is it clear that Derrick Henry is a a significantly better, I mean, say, maybe not even significantly, but decisively better player um, when you look at these stats? Yes, and and not to just box score scout. When you watch the games, that's pretty clear as well, right? That Derrick Henry, while both are very good running backs, Derrick Henry is one of, has been for the past four seasons, one of, if not the best running back in the league. However, you look at some of these numbers, and in particular, the averages and the touchdown production, um, relatively similar on the, on the touchdown side of things. Derrick Henry, a handful more in recent years, but both have been producing at a high level. And then averages, both players... Um, Derrick Henry getting off to a hotter start in 2019 with a 5.1 yards per carry average. Uh, Dalvin Cook, 4.5 in 2020. Both had a uh, north of 5.0 yards per uh, attempt average. Derrick Henry almost at that 5.5 mark. And then both players dropping off a bit into the uh, mid to high 4.7 range in 2021 and 2022. All of that being said, and the yards and the attempts are going to be skewed because Derrick Henry is, is a much different player in the way that he's utilized in the Titans offense as compared to how they used Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. But when you look at the averages, you look at the touchdowns, they're not that dramatically different of players. And I remember back to, I don't know, what was it, February, March, when there was a lot made about, hey, if this Tennessee Titans team is rebuilding, if the new GM, Rand Carthen, comes in and decides that this team's going to change their identity, uh, maybe they're not going to be as run heavy. Maybe they think that Derrick Henry is a little bit over the over the hill and they're not going to utilize him in the offense in the way that they've been utilizing him. Maybe they they decide that at his at his contract number, at the, at the price they're having to pay for him to be on the team, which off the top of my head, somewhere in the 10 to $12 million range, I believe that could be wrong, but I think it's in that low double digits range. Maybe they just decide to try to trade him. And what could you get in return for a guy like that? Well, Dalvin cook was just released after four consecutive pro bowl seasons and putting up numbers that are nothing to sniff at when you put them up against Derrick Henry's. So I think that this is a, a maybe a reality check for some Titans fans. When you juxtapose Derrick Henry's dominance in the past four years with what Dalvin cook has done. And the fact that he did all of this for Minnesota and they got exactly nothing in return. Yes. Henry is, and has been the better player by a good margin, but there's a reason why he was never, uh, I don't think was never. And I don't think ever will uh, likely be traded 
by Tennessee. And that's that he's just not going to fetch much, if anything at all. This is 2023 in the NFL. The running back position is not what it once was in terms of value. And because of that, you get situations like this where Dalvin Cook, a pro bowl, a perennial pro bowl player released and uh, his team, the Vikings getting nothing in return. A couple of comments here. D good still on that. The Mets are bad. Um, and then diesel, that man played through a torn shoulder every year. Yes, this is true. Uh, Dalvin cook was, was injured quite a bit. And, uh, that that's part of the reason I'm sure why he was released by his team. Let's move on now to a little mini camp recap. And we have to start with yesterday's mini camp, uh, was really focused on Kevin Byard third and final day of the week. Kevin Byard finally speaks to the media. Media. He's been there all three days this week. We've covered that already. But Kevin Byard was there. We've got a number of clips to, to share and talk about from his media availability at the podium yesterday. He came out, and before any of us in the media pool were able to ask him a question, this was what he had to say as a prepared opening statement addressing the elephant in the room. Here was Kevin Byard on his decision not to come to OTAs and his contract. I kind of wanted to address a couple things. Uh... First and foremost, I kind of want to address the whole OTAs and things like that. Um, I had been in communication with the coaching staff uh, really early in the offseason before, obviously, all this, this this news and all this stuff that came out uh, that, you know, I was going to have my own plan to be able to train on my own. Um, obviously, you know, every player on this team um, is in a different stage of their career. Uh, I am very comfortable, obviously, being with Shane, being with the coach staff right for five years, Shane being our coordinator for the last four very comfortable within the defense. I stayed in communication with the coaches this entire offseason about any new stuff that we had, any new nuances that was coming out within the defense. But uh, I had been enjoying training on my own and uh, felt it was very important. And it really, it really was never any any doubt uh, from the coaches in my end that you know I was going to be here for minicamp. I knew I was going to be here uh, and be the same player that I always been, be the same leader that I always will be. Uh, so I kind of just want to put that out there. I know you guys got some other questions, but so So and I'm, apologies for those that are watching. I'm not sure why the video is showing up as yellow. Um, it wasn't yellow when I filmed it, uh, but it's kind of yellowy now. But you, you, you get the gist. Um, that's what Kevin Byard initially had to say, addressed a number of the questions that we had. But then we followed up with some detailed questions. Um, and, and here is his response to a question about why exactly he chose, or maybe to elaborate more on why he chose not to show up to OTAs this year. Here was Kevin Byers address, uh, addressing that question. In the meetings, but as far as the strength and conditioning part of it, I had already gotten to the really good groove on my own. Uh, I had started working out probably two weeks after the Super Bowl on my own. And I kind of just wanted to keep that routine, keep that training going. And I felt really good out here today, these past couple of days with my condition and everything. So uh, I'll continue to do that obviously through the summer and uh, get ready to have a And not to fly through these clips, but I, I do kind of want to do the reporting portion of this first and, and give you the context of what we heard from him and then and then kind of editorialize a bit and give you my thoughts. So this third clip from Kevin Byard, um, this is him talking about uh, what his emotions were surrounding this tumultuous past couple months for him, or at least the narrative being that it's been tumultuous with him and the Titans. Uh, he he essentially declined to get into his emotions, and he explains why in this clip. Emotions about you know, I I guarantee you I would not be the last player, and I hadn't been the first player to come to about a pay cut. You know, I let my agent and, and the organization, uh, or obviously Rand and the GM, handle those things. I felt it was very important for myself though, and for me to come here 
and uh, be a leader and be the person I've always been, uh, making plays, communicating, and things like that. So, uh, and that, that's all who I'm always going to be. And uh, I just felt that was very important. So naturally, he declines to give his thoughts on the emotions. Um, he also declined. I asked him a, a follow up question to this. You know, now that you're here, is it more that you're here because it's mandatory mini camp and, you, you know, there'd be a tangible punishment for not being here? Or is there some element of finality to this this contract dispute and to you, you know, be you know, it's it's hard because he's not really up in the air to play for the Titans this year. He's under contract. It's just assumed and reasonably so by all of us that the Titans aren't looking to have a a thirty something safety play on a nineteen and change million dollar cap hit this season, and that they'd want to do something to that contract. Now, whether that's trading him, which I think is extremely unlikely, cutting him, which I think that will won't happen under any circumstances, uh, or, or extending him taking taking a pay cut those are the two other options right either he can choose to uh, agree to a new contract at a lower dollar amount and take a pay cut and help them in with the cap in that way or they can choose to extend him push some of that money down the road the financial hit on the, on the books down the road a couple of years and free up some space now i guess the, the fifth option is that they could just ride with this contract i don't think it's likely but at this point, you got to wonder, um, all of that being said, is this in him being here a mark of some sort of closure around that situation? And and he declined to really give an answer on that as well. He, he doesn't seem interested. He never did seem interested yesterday to discuss his his personal thoughts on the business side of this dispute and really he, he he's trying to make he tried to make it out to seem like the business dispute was all that it was there was no interpersonal dispute there was no um feelings within inside him of animosity towards the titans or not wanting to be here or you know considering playing somewhere else considering holding out he, he never alluded to any of that and anytime we alluded to it in our questions he kind of quashed it in this next clip um, he, he kind of talks along those lines about how there was no doubt in his mind that he was going to be coming to mandatory minicamp this past week. Here were, were his thoughts on some of that. Like, this is not a whole thing with me coming here with just like, oh, I'm here. Like, you know, it wasn't nothing like that. This was always the plan. Uh, and I'm going to continue to work my plan throughout this offseason. Uh, so, yeah, it really had nothing to do with that. You hear next this final clip. Um, was was him talking about why he chose not to make a big deal um, publicly, whether that be on social media or through interviews or through through podcasts. Here was uh, his his comments on why he chose to be pretty silent throughout the offseason so you far. Know, to clarify anything, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I really wasn't just like active on trying to jump on the next podcast and, you know, and stuff like that or getting on social media, deleting, like all that's nonsense. Well, at least for me personally, I know players have different ways of how they handle things. I didn't see a need to do any of that because uh, I didn't want to make it a story, make it a thing because it's really not a thing in my mind. Like I said, every single day uh, I wake up in the morning with gratitude and I just want to be the best player and the best person I could possibly be because uh, that's the only thing I can focus on. Control what you can control because uh, that's, that's, that's been my mentality. It's been my character my entire life. You control what you can control. You can't control if 
Kentucky takes your scholarship. You got to go to, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't control those things. You just got to work on yourself and try to be a better player and a better person. That's it. My favorite part of that clip is when he catches himself in the middle of talking about going on the latest podcast, you know, deleting stuff on Twitter. That stuff's not. And then he realizes he's talking about kind of what exactly some of his teammates, namely Jeffrey Simmons, just recently did and catches himself. And is like, well, hey, if that if that's how you want to handle it, A-OK. It's just not the way that I want to go about it, which I, I side with him. I think it's a bunch of nonsense. Um, I understand why players do it and, and why they think that it is a good idea. I, I disagree that it is a good idea, and I disagree that um, it's a, a wise thing to do. May, maybe it works in some cases, but I just don't think it's a, a great look. I don't begrudge players that do it, though. Ultimately, I, I would agree with Kevin. If I was a player or under contract, really, in, in any walk of life, I would find that kind of behavior nonsensical, and he, he certainly seems to think so. My thoughts on this are... Not a whole lot. Like, I, I think that he answered a number of the questions that I would have asked in this portion of the show and me giving my opinion on the situation. He, Kevin Byer, there's a reason why he continues to win the award that the uh, media pool here in town gives out to one player each year as the, I forget the name. I think it's like the good guy award, but it's essentially the, the guy in the locker room who was the best to us in the media and put up with us the best and gave us the most insight and were, was the most vocal and um, showed us the most attention and care. Um, and he wins that award every year because he is always one of, if not the best interview in the Titans locker room. He, he kind of buried the lead at one point. I don't have the clip of this, but he mentioned yesterday that he first met Rand Carthen before he was ever hired by the Titans out in LA, I believe in LA in California at, um, the NFL's broadcast boot camp, which kind of burying the lead there, Kevin Byard in the offseason, brushing up on his broadcasting chops, get, getting the speech down, getting the uh, getting the media chops down a little bit. I, I have no doubt in my mind that if he chooses to go into media after his playing career, he'll be fantastic at it because, again, he's very, very well-spoken. He's, he's very willing to give his opinion on things. He's very willing to speak his mind. He's not boring. He's, he's animated. He's, he's a talented speaker. He holds your attention. So obviously can't say enough great things about him along those lines. And because of that, I think he answered a number of the questions yesterday. He handled a lot of this through the team, the guys that he pays for, uh, to pay, pays in, in order to handle these things, the business side of his relationship with the Titans. He really seems to, be doing all of this through them and letting them handle that. Now, is is that me assuming that everything he said yesterday is true? Yeah, a little bit, but I'll say this. And I know Zach Lyons over at Football and Other F-Words mentioned this on a football show, another one of our 440 products here yesterday, that he has no problem with, and I agree wholeheartedly, fans and media alike taking Kevin Byard's words at face value because... Simply put, Kevin Byard has spent the last five, six years doing nothing but gaining and earning the trust of all of us with the things that he says. He's not given us really any reason to think that he's into the coach speaky uh, lies by omission or just bold faced lies outright, um, you know, not speaking his mind on something, uh, holding back like he's not really given us a reason to believe that's who he is. And based on his track record, it's perfectly reasonable to assume that what he's saying is the truth. In retrospect, and I say retrospect because I think that 
by him attending minicamp this past week, this is a situation the Titans will probably be putting behind them relatively shortly. Again, I still think they're going to do something to that contract, but if if they and Kevin Byard are, are in a good place in terms of him playing this year, there's not really a rush to, uh, I guess, suppose if you needed room to, to go and get a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, perhaps that's the rush. But other than that, there's not really a rush before training camp or before the season for them to get that contract figured out. They could choose to change that later on down the road this offseason. And, and because of that, I think that things are kind of cool right now. Every Everything seems to be on the up and up. Everything seems to be all right. And while there's still some hesitancy, because again, he he declined to give specifics on how his emotions were impacted by this. We can make assumptions that he's all right with it because he's he's ultimately, you know, he's here for minicamp. He was here for minicamp. Uh, we we did ask him if he's going to be here next week during the last portion of OTAs before the, the summer off. He essentially said no by not answering the question. I think it was Paul Kaharski who asked that question. He said he didn't want to get into all of that, which is a no, right? He would say yes if the answer was yes. But uh, ultimately, I think that it, things are going to be fine along the Kevin Byard front. You should be able to breathe a, a sigh of relief that, at the fact that he attended minicamp, that he spoke to us, that he seems to not be all that upset and understanding of the fact that football is a business and sometimes it's a cold business. And he, he said himself yesterday, he knows he's not going to be the first. He, he's, you know, he, he knows he is not the first and will not be the last guy to be asked on a team to take a pay cut. Now, there are, there are fair questions to ask along the lines of, hey, Rand Carthen has come in to this organization and has made it pretty clear a number of times in the past, we want this team to be about bringing in homegrown players via the draft, via free agency, or undrafted free agency, building them up here, developing them here, and then rewarding those homegrown guys when they, when they produce for us. It was asked yesterday of Kevin Byard, does that message ring kind of hollow to you? considering with a guy like Jeff Simmons, who is the most recent example of, of that and, and a guy getting rewarded, you can go back to Harold Landry the year previous, and you can go back to the times that Kevin Byard, for example, has been extended. Those things don't seem to align because guys like Harold Landry guys like Kevin or uh, Jeffrey Simmons, rather they did get that bag. And in Jeffrey Simmons case, just very recently th this past, uh, this past month or so with Kevin Byard, you know, maybe that, message kind of rings hollow a little bit how can he who has been and i think still is the poster child for homegrown tennessee titans guy that needs to be kept around and you know based on his production on the field and in the locker room the effect that he has as a team guy as a, as a company man he's incredibly incredibly valuable maybe invaluable as an asset to this team shouldn't he be rewarded in that same way and that's a fair question, and, and I forget exactly what his response to it yesterday was, but it was not animus. It was not frustration. He kind of skirted the, the question, and ultimately, I think that he, along with the Titans, knows they're going to come to some some uh, conclusion here. So for the time being, I think I, I'm content with his status with the team, with his standing with the team, with their standing with him. I think that things are on the up and up, and while he won't be here for OTAs, I'd be shocked if he is holding out of training camp by the time we get too late. July. All right, let's move on. Some other things that I want to talk about from minicamp before we talk about that DeAndre Hopkins tweet of mine from earlier today, which should be a funny way to wrap up the show. If you didn't pay attention to this show earlier this week, on Monday before minicamp, producer JT and I went through and drafted our top 10 things that we were looking to see. I say things. Most of them were questions, right? Questions we were looking to have answered at minicamp this week. 
We got five of those questions answered and talked about that on the live show on Wednesday. And then today we're going to answer the other four questions. We combined two of the questions on Monday's show. Talked about Will Levis and Malik Willis. Today we've got four more questions from that Monday episode that we want to talk about. And I've got um, the answers or non-answers from this week. We can we can have some resolution on that front. And then uh, I've got a couple of odds and ends to mention uh, from minicamp as well. But the first of those questions, and you should go listen to Wednesday's show to get the rest of them. Also a great show. Also a great recap of what we've seen here at, at minicamp so far. What depth receivers on this roster start to make their push, state their case to be on this 53-man roster by the end of August? You always, around this time of year, start to see that race kick up a little bit. And I was expecting coming into the week to see one or a couple of those guys start to maybe solidify their standing with the team and the way that they're being utilized out there on the practice field. And the number one guy in that department this week, a guy who I came into the week really unsure of whether or not he would make the roster. I, I, I would say it was probably a 50-50 proposition on Monday. As of today, I'd say it's a 90-10 proposition with him. And I lean towards saying he's a lock to make this 53-man roster. It's the Titans' seventh-round rookie, Colton Dowell. I know on paper, Colton Dowell, as a, as a prospect and as a guy coming in as a seventh-round rookie receiver, a, a very a very competitive position. I can see on paper why you'd be surprised or, or skeptical, maybe skeptical is the right word, of, of him making this team A and then let alone, you know, beyond that, making an impact for this team this year. I'm not going to promise that part, but I will say in terms of making the team and them giving him a chance to make an impact on this team this year, based on what we've seen at minicamp, like they like this guy a lot. I think that they really, really like this guy and the way that they utilize him in team drills, in seven-on-seven seven drills, he's a big part of the offense. Now, he's not being built around, based on what we've seen, in a fundamental way, the way that you'd build around a Tajay Spears or a Derrick Henry or a Chickaconquo or a Traylon Burks. But he is being utilized a lot, and they're having him do a lot of the things that they have some of their more veteran receivers in NWI and in Racy McMath and in Kyle Phillips. The, the ways that they're utilizing them on the field they're doing the same with Colton Dowell. And I, I'm at the point where I think Colton Dowell is almost a lock to make this roster, barring an injury or some dramatic drop-off in uh, late July and throughout August at training camp. I really do think he's going to make this roster. Uh, my guy, Stoney Keeley, commenting here that his take is Colton Dowell is Rand Carthens' version of Juwan Jennings with the Titans, which is something that I had not considered. Stoney, I think that's a pretty decent take. Um, and I could absolutely see, I, again, based on the way that they're using him, they like him. I think Rand Carthen and Mike Vrabel and the position coaches are very, very fond of him and his potential, even as, as a seventh round developmental guy. And I could absolutely see him being used in that way, the way that Juwan Jennings has been used out there in San Francisco the past couple of seasons. All of that brings me to this question. And before we move on to the other questions we have to answer, I want to I want to propose another question for you to noodle on for a little bit. Um, as we get closer and closer to 10,000 uh, way too early 53-man roster prediction articles that you're going to see over the coming weeks. How many spots are actually up for grabs at the wide receiver position on this 53-man roster? Again, a lot will and can change between now and the uh, the end of August. But 
right now, how many guys can you say are locks to make this team at the wide receiver position? Traylon Burks, Kyle Phillips, NWI, and I would and Chris Moore, excuse me, Chris Moore, the newly new newly acquired former Texans wide receiver. That's four guys. If I include Colton Dowell as a guy who I think is is bordering on a lock, that's five receivers already. And you got a number of receivers on this team that are beyond those five, a big question mark, right? You've you've got a number of young guys with some promise in um Jacob Copeland out of Mar- Maryland. Uh, Kiaris Jackson out of Georgia, Gavin Holmes, who I, f- I forget where he's coming from, but he's actually flashed a couple of times out there at practice as well. I don't think he's a scrub. This team is fond of guys like Reggie Roberson and guys like Mason Kinsey. I, I don't think that they're, they're a huge threat to make the roster, um, but they are there and they are pushing these guys. And then Racy McMath, which is the biggest established, you know, not a rookie guy on on this team at the wide receiver position uh not non new guy who really i think it is is coming down to can racy secure that fifth position or that sixth position because I, I would i'll be floored if this team keeps seven receivers i feel like every single year we talk about how there's just too many talented depth guys this team goes through receivers um like kleenex like they're going to need plenty of depth on the active roster they might as well keep seven i think they're going to keep seven there's seven guys on this on this team in training camp that they need to keep or else they're going to lose them they won't stay on the practice squad we we convince ourselves of this every single year and and come the end of august i'm sure some folks will have convinced themselves of that maybe even me maybe my mind will change but if if i do somebody send me this clip and remind me of what i said because i think that this is the truth and we need to keep our eyes set on this fact this team does not have the depth at receiver on the roster that makes makes it worthy justifies keeping a seventh guy we talk about uh, a number of times and that we've talked about a number of times in the past why exactly i think and jt thinks this team's going to keep three quarterbacks on their active roster this year and a big part of that is this team is perceived by many to be not that great especially in terms of depth. And I agree on that front. I actually think the top end talent, as I've said a number of times is sneaky, much better than folks think, but the depth is certainly a big question mark at most positions. And because of that, the 45th through 53rd best player on this 53 man roster, when they cut it down at the end of August are going to be guys that are, eh, they're going to be practice squad caliber guys that you could probably put on the practice squad and not lose. Whereas a, a guy like Malik Willis or Will Levis, you put him on the practice squad He's going to get scooped up by another team. It's just, it's just a fact that's going to happen. They're too valuable. And because of that fact, I think that this team has, you know, a number of other skill position players at the running back position, at the tight end position, and then at the quarterback position to, they have too many of those guys to justify keeping a seventh receiver. I think they keep six. You could convince me they keep five. It wouldn't blow my mind if they kept five and just went with, those top four guys, and then Colton Dowell, or maybe Racy McMath, depending on how camp goes. I think they'll keep six. And because of that, I do think you have Racy McMath, Jacob Copeland, Kiaris Jackson, and maybe Reggie Roberson competing three or four guys for just one spot on this team. I'd say right now, the heavy favorite is Racy McMath, but I have seen Jacob Copeland flash a number of times. I'd say that he's the runner up for sure right now in that race for the sixth wide receiver spot. He's flashed at camp and, and I'm excited to see once they get pads on, once we get to see some more action, 
in late July and early August. Um, excited to see what he's got. Also, drinking game for today's show. Drink every time I say late July or early August, and you're already dead. Um, I'll quit saying that. Let's move on to the next question. Molden, Elijah Molden, formerly a cornerback on this team, known as a cornerback on this team. Um, I say formerly, maybe not formerly. That is the question, right? Is this guy going to be playing cornerback or safety for this Titans team in 2023? And Unfortunately, we didn't get a ton of clues as to whether or not they're wanting to transition him because he didn't practice on the field a whole lot this week. Um, he's I, I don't know. They've not disclosed. He's not disclosed what exactly he's working through or why he hasn't been out there every single day this week. I think he was out there for two of the three days, if I'm not mistaken. But maybe I know he was there for at least one. I know he missed at least one. I forget um, on the third day whether he was there or not. The point being, we've seen him so far this offseason play at safety a couple of times. Part of that was because of the necessity with, with the, the top two safeties on this team at one point at OTAs in previous weeks not being out there and them needing somebody to play safety. From a physical standpoint, from an athletic testing standpoint, he fits the bill. And there's been rumors since he came out and was drafted by the Titans that he could be a guy, he could be a decent candidate for that transition to safety and, and be that be that press safety that you have uh, as a as a blitzer, as a as a guy in the in the slot, in the nickel, in dime, coming in on those uh, sub packages, and and being a guy that can cover as well as play the safety position. Well, we didn't get a ton of clues to that this week, unfortunately. So my answer is that we didn't get a huge uh, answer to that question. We did hear from uh, fellow defensive back uh, Monty Hooker, who is a bona fide safety. Uh, about Elijah Molden and how he's performed back there in his limited snaps so far. Amani had good things to say, said that he's handled it well, that he's enjoyed him being back there, and it's nice to have him. I certainly think that the take from Titans fans should be, I hope that they move him, because beyond Amani Hooker and Kevin Byard, you have a bunch of lawn chairs and deck furniture at the safety position. You need somebody to be able to rotate, as well as somebody for depth, heaven forbid one of those top two guys goes down with an injury which in recent years we've seen Amani Hooker deal with some injury problems. So I think that him being a safety this year would be really nice. Ultimately, if, if the Titans go into the year and decide, we're just going to label him defensive back. He's going to be a flex guy for us. Uh, we're going to have him play cornerback when we need a cornerback in the in the slot. We're going to have him play safety when we need a safety. And we can, we can use him as buzzword, one of those versatile guys on this roster. They want to be as versatile as possible. He gives them the option to do that. And I think that that's a pretty decent chance that that is what happens. Next question that we have to answer, um, and not to not to neglect the chat. Sorry, without JT here today, I'm having to juggle 14 different things. Uh, Stony over at Sobro saying, Trey Sean Harrison Hive, stand up. I mean, listen, he he's flashed some at camp as well. We need a bigger sample size, really, on Trey Sean Harrison. I would say that he's he's not a guy that is out of the running, but certainly has a lot of work to do should he get into the uh the running. Pointing out that Gavin Holdens came from Baylor. Thank you, my my deep dive scouting extraordinaire friend. And then he he mentions that uh, which of the guys do you think ends up with punt or kick return duties? Great question. Uh, I'm going to try to be careful not to get into things I can't talk about, but I would say that they are leaning away right now from having Kyle Phillips handle any of that. He's still been out there practicing it during special teams period a decent amount, but there've been, I mean, it's, it's like tryouts out there. There's another, I don't, I feel at liberty to say that because there's like seven guys doing it. Um, some more than others. I would say right now they are leaning towards um, uh, having Tajay Spears handle the kick return. Um, and then on, on a punt return basis, 
I won't lie. I, I'm not positive, Stony. There's a, there's a handful of guys they've been trying so far. I've not noticed um, one guy getting more reps than any of the others. So I'd say the only in, input I can give on that front is they're leaning away from having Kyle Phillips do that and letting him focus on um, on wide receiver duties. Now, they are still having him practice out there. So that's an assumption on my part and kind of just a vibes feel. They've also mentioned Craig Ackerman, the special teams coordinator, that this this is a guy in Kyle Phillips who they are, you know, seeing him regain some confidence after, unfortunately, the past couple of punt return attempts we saw from him ended up rather poorly. Um, I also I have a tweet and I, I went on a rant about this on a show a while ago now, but but as a punt returner, Kyle Phillips is way, way underrated by folks and their last memory is clouding what should be their balanced memory. Go back and look at his success uh, as a punt returner in the NFL so far. He's a lot more than just a couple of muffed punts. He's the the best punt returner by a country mile that this team has seen in a long time. But luckily for the team, if they're wanting to not play him at that position, they've got a number of guys now at that position who could ultimately give them some juice there, and they don't have to roll out 30-year-old receivers back there like they did last year in Bobby Trees to try to return punts and really not bring any juice. Um Another question from Clout House ENT about Fulton holding in or if he's injured from all of his yoga. Uh, we'll, I'll, I will answer this and we'll talk to this in, in a moment. So I'm going to hold on to that question real quick. Let's move on and get, get these last couple questions we have to answer for Monday out of the way. The third question we have, answer, have to answer today is what kind of clues did we get this week about um, the offense? You know, We know a lot's going to change. What clues did we get as to what it's going to look like? I can't give a ton of specifics, but like I've said a number of times at this point, this offense, if I had to describe it in four words, these are the words I would use based on what we've seen so far. It's going to be much more fun than you're used to, much more exotic than you're used to. Some some interesting uh, formations, interesting plays that you're like, I'm not sure I've ever seen that before. I certainly have never seen the Titans running that kind of play. The third word would be multiple. There's going to be a, a number of different looks that you're unfamiliar with this year. Um, a decent amount of 11, 12, 13, 21, 22 personnel looks that you're unfamiliar with. And then the fourth, the fourth uh, des descriptor I would use is positionless. I've, I've mentioned this a good bit, but I, they're really leaning into the versatility of a lot of these skill position players and having them play some positionless ball. Guys like Chickaconquo, guys like Derrick Henry, who we've seen that a, a decent uptick of, of, positionless play in recent years guys like Ty J Spears who we know offers a good bit on the ground and through the air all of those guys are really good examples of how this team's going to be using guys in a lot of different ways at different positions um in maybe some untraditional ways this year that should excite you I, I think that all of the vibes from the offense all the things that I, I can say um on the offensive side of the ball to answer this question are good they're positive they will have you excited um, so it's all good news. That's really all I can say on that front. So those are the clues we've gotten so far. A lot more to come later in training camp, but so far, really positive. The last question, and not a whole lot to, to give on this front, more later in training camp, but we were asking the linebacker depth, namely the interior linebacker depth. What does it look like? Is it is it um, too thin? And are the top line guys going to be good enough to cut it? Are, or are they going to be the weak point of this defense, right? To speak to those two separate questions separately, in terms of the top line guys in Aziz Al Shair, who just came from San Francisco and played there at inside linebacker in limited capacity, but we saw good things from him in his play so far. 
And then the, the Titans homegrown guy who they're hoping takes a leap this year in Monty Rice. He's really the linchpin here. I don't have any questions along the Al Shire uh, side of this coin. I, I don't think that he's going to be an issue. I think that he's going to be at worst a competent inside linebacker and not leave you wanting a whole lot more with Monty Rice. I don't know. And that's really, I think the linchpin to all of this, he is the straw that stirs this drink. He has to step up in a big way this year and he's got to stay healthy. I'm more concerned about him staying healthy than him stepping up. I do think he's somewhat limited linebacker, but at his best and when healthy, I do think he provides what this team needs a bare minimum at the inside linebacker position. And those two can make a nice tandem. And, and again, he's got time and room still, I think to develop. Maybe he comes out in the best version of himself this year is better than we've ever seen. The big question is, is injuries. And we've not seen him capable of staying on the field for an extended period of time really at all. And, and because of that, it gives you some pause because behind him and I, Hand up. I got to put my uh, roster up on the screen here to remind myself of all of these guys at the inside linebacker position in terms of depth. Ben Neiman out of uh, out of Arizona. Um, uh, Luke Gifford, who is a special teams ace they got from Dallas. Chance Campbell, who's another homegrown, homegrown late round guy out of Ole Miss. Uh, Jack Gibbons, Dr. Gibby is still back there. And then undrafted free agent Otis Reese, the fourth doesn't inspire a lot of confidence behind Monty Rice and Aziz Al Shayer. So certainly something where you're going to want one of those guys. Maybe it's Chance Campbell. Maybe it's Jack Gibbons, both of which we've seen increased play and increased level of play last season as compared to their rookie year. Maybe it's those guys that step up and offer a nice third option. But if it's not, if they're not, and it's not Luke Gifford, who we know is a stud on special teams, but, but may not really offer anything on actual offensive play or defensive plays rather. It leaves it leaves something to be desired on that front. So the, the like is the case with a number of things for me with this team. I'm much more concerned with the depth than I am with the top line talent. All right, let's get into some other odds and ends from camp, and then we'll get to that DeAndre Hopkins tweet, which is what I, I'm trying to get to because that's really that's the fun of this. That's the dessert to today's episode. I wanted to check in on Jeffrey Simmons. I realized we hadn't played any clips or talked a whole lot about Jeffrey Simmons on the show this week or throughout OTAs a whole lot. So got a clip from him yesterday. He spoke to us, gave a lot of his time. and I'm very appreciative of that. This is really just kind of a, an OTAs and mandatory mini camp check-in with Jeff Simmons, with, with big Jeff Simmons in the middle of the defensive line. Here he gives a number of his thoughts and kind of an overview of how the offseason has gone for him uh, so far. Flying around, having fun. That's what it's about. This is where it started. Um, we know last year we didn't finish what we want to finish at, and honestly, it don't matter. We're trying to build something here, especially on the defensive side. You know, um, the chemistry, we had everyone here. Everyone just, I mean, we talk about it. We have a word of the day every day. And just the message, each guy, I think everybody on the defense pretty much got up and spoke. So we, we everyone on the same page. So, and I think... That's the biggest thing with us, uh, you know, communication. That's what we talk about each and every day. Let's communicate, let's fly around, let's have fun. So this week, um, the last couple of weeks has been what we expected. Um, it's a new year. Now, Jeff went on to talk uh, about and along the lines of a comment he made actually earlier this week, not yesterday, but he, he was talking about, and this was something that was going around, making its rounds in the national media. He was talking about how this team 
is interested in not a rebuild. They're not going through a rebuild in his eyes or in the team's eyes. They're, they're going through establishing a winning culture and building something um, within that, within that building for sure. So there's some building going on, but in terms of a rebuild, in terms of them not being competitive, that is by no means what they are expecting of themselves this year. And uh, it is something that I think that they take a little personally in that locker room, which naturally, right? Of course they should. The big question is, are they right? Are they being delusional? I don't think that they are. Many think that they are. We'll see in August. Let's move on to Will Levis now, who I spoke to at length yesterday and asked him a couple of questions. The first was, I wanted to get inside his mind as a rookie who is in a unique situation where usually it's the rookie coming in and having to learn a new offense that that his teammates are already familiar with. But this year, he maybe maybe this is a lucky thing. Maybe it's not. It can't it can't hurt. I don't think for him to come in and be kind of on the same page as most of these veterans in terms of knowing the offense, because the Titans are, in fact, in case you haven't heard, you've been living under a rock installing a new offense with Tim Kelly, their new offensive coordinator. I asked him about as you learn these new plays, these new concepts, new responsibilities and roles and terminology and all of that that comes with the complexity of learning a new offense, at what point can you get to where you're not having to actively think about it? You can just go and do it. You can get out there and play. You know, you have it in your body. It's more second nature. If you ever learned a foreign language, for example, right? You know, you get to the point where you hear about certain translators, they get to the point where I, I, you know, I start to dream in Spanish. I start to think in Spanish. Um, you know, I might, I don't have to sit and think, translate the word, the translate and translate you translate. You just do it right. And with, with a football with, you know, a guy like Tom Brady or, or Aaron Rodgers in the offenses, they ran forever and ever and ever. I'm sure they got to the point where everything was second nature. That can't be the case yet with these guys with everything, but I'm sure that transition is starting to happen. So I asked, at what point and and has that point come where things are starting to slow down for you I guess speed up for you mentally so that they can speed up for you physically on the field and you can have it in your body and not have to think about it while you're out there you can just play here was his response to that question. stuff that we've already repped a lot of the times like we get maybe one or two reps with the concept and then we're moving on to the next group of concepts we're moving on to third down and then we're moving on to red zone so um being able to like revisit some of the concepts rep them for the third fourth fifth times it, it just takes those reps and it takes those uh those looks different looks from the defense to, to kind of log those reps in your mind and understand like what you're looking for versus different looks um so yeah i mean i just think as time goes it's just going to get more more comfortable so we followed that up asking him about, you know, on a, you heard the start of that question, I think from my, my friend Nick Suss over at the Tennessean on a day like today on, on Thursday, yesterday, how much of what you're doing is stuff that they'd already repped stuff that they'd already learned and how much of it was they, they installed this for today. This is new material that we're repping for the first time and we're getting in our bodies. And he said, it's about 50, 50, which I test wise checks out. I think that that checks out in terms of, um, how much they're walking through versus how much they're jogging through versus how much they're running through and actually playing. Uh, it seems to be every single day out there right now, they are adding new things. We're tackling a couple of pages that we haven't so far in this playbook, and we're starting to learn it all. And I do think that there's some natural concern there that maybe is being overlooked by some Titans fans, just along the lines of when you install a new anything into a team, these football teams are, you know, at the NFL level, it, everything is a well-oiled machine. And so you think back to Tom Brady and Tampa Bay is the example I go to a lot because you saw that Super Bowl winning team. They went on to, after their 
week 13 by or whatever it was, I think win seven or eight games straight all the way to the Super Bowl as a wild card team. But before that, they were like five and six, four and six. I forget they were they were either at 500 or just below it going into their buy. And the question was, are they even going to get into the playoffs in Tom Brady's first year in Tampa Bay? I think we're going to see that this year. We certainly saw it last year in, in uh, Denver with, with Russell Wilson. And, and I think this year you're going to see a decent amount of that in uh, New York, in New Jersey, when Mr. Aaron Rodgers is trying to play for the, the mean green up there. All of that to be said, I think the same thing kind of goes along with a new coordinator and with a new offense. It may be kind of clunky at first. There's a lot of new moving pieces on this on this offense in terms of skill position players. Four of the five offensive linemen, offensive coordinator, playbook. That's a lot of new stuff. And even if it is ultimately by the end of the year going to be incredible, you know, Tim Kelly is getting head coaching opportunities. This team is averaged almost 30 points a game and, and they scored a ton of touchdowns and the offensive line looks a lot better. It, it's not going to start out that way, right? It's, it's going, you have to grow to there. You have to get to that point. So I do think that's something that's maybe being overlooked by some folks. And, and a, it's a it's a narrative that I'm going to continue to track down as we go throughout camp and get closer and closer to the season. The last clip we have today is also Will Levis. And I asked him about his touch, or not, not I, we in the media, we asked him about his touch and you know the speed, the velocity, the trajectory with which he throws the football. And you know he's got a reputation as being kind of a fastball pitcher. Has he been working on implementing some more touch into his game? Here's Process, what he had to say. I was working on like throwing the ball with more touch and having like a little bit more pace with my balls. Um, it's kind of been the opposite here. Like there's been a couple instances where I'm kind of I was kind of aiming the ball and I was trying to put some air under it when you know Coach Brave just come up to me after practice, just like just just freaking throw, you know, just like don't don't think about it and just use use my you know um, ability that I have to just not think about putting the pace on it, understanding the times when to, but a lot of the times, you know, just put it on the guy. Yeah. And that is not the answer that I expected for him to have in Tennessee been told, hey, maybe less touch. Maybe that's a good idea. Um, I will say that doesn't really match what we've seen. I don't doubt that he I'm not saying he's lying by any means, but maybe maybe what I should say is in terms of issues he, ha he has had, it's been a lot of sailing the ball. It's been a lot of rifling the ball in and, and missing the mark. Um, I don't think it's a lack of touch that that is contributing to the the rookie hiccups the the learning curve the growing pains that he's going through but maybe i'm wrong maybe that that is uh equally a problem for him nevertheless he is he's a guy that has a fastball from college and uh I, I do think that there's there's a reason why he was focusing on getting some more touch into his game early in the pre-draft process because he knows that's a, a skill that he'd like to have in his bag even if he doesn't feel like he needs to use it all that often or if his coach doesn't feel like he needs to use it all that often a couple of injury updates to get to Mike Vrabel yesterday morning was asked about a handful of guys that I figured I would just uh, clue you in on. He he said that Caleb Farley is lifting hard and getting strong. He also added that Dylan Radens is coming along well, but he does not anticipate Radens being available for the beginning of training camp, which should be obvious to everybody. To late season ACL tear, I think week 13 or 14, maybe even later than that last year. Um, offensive lineman, he may not be uh, an impact on this team at all this year. It may just be a wash year for him and, and see you in 2024 with Caleb Farley. You know, the expectations are rock bottom. If this is the last year for him to really prove it for this team, I do think he makes the roster and I do think that they give him every opportunity in the world to justify keeping him around. 
he's going to have to justify keeping him around because so far he has not. And it sounds like he's in good shape to be on track to at least be ready for the start of the season, if not for some of training camp. He also was asked about Sam O to a lesser extent, you know, a guy that in terms of depth on the defensive line is important because there's not a whole lot of depth on the defensive line, but Sam, uh, Okwin I won't, that's the only time I'm going to try to pronounce his name on this show, but Sam O as we refer to him, he could be ready by training camp. Uh, Vrabel did not disclose what he's dealing with. Then the other two guys who I think are worth bringing up are Trayvon Wesco and Christian Fulton. Wesco has been a mystery. He's a, a new tight end that was brought in by the Titans this year. I forget where from. If somebody can let me know in the comments, on the top of my head, I completely blanked on where they got him from. Was it Dallas? I could be wrong. He's the glorified lineman tight end for this team this year. He's going to be the guy that comes in and does all of the Jeff Swaim things that Jeff Swaim didn't do great. Wesco's going to do much better. And uh, on a lot of those run plays, he's going to be the guy to be in there and be an extra bully on the, uh, on, the on the line and in the trenches. Christian Fulton is is a guy who we know about as, as the cornerback on this team who is the best in terms of top-end talent, but also not on great terms with the team. I don't think his – thank you, Jacob – came from the Bears. Okay, Trayvon Wesco from the Bears. I don't know where I got Dallas from. Um, with Wesco, we don't know where he is. It's just been assumed. The, the assumption is he's dealing with some injury. Um, that he's he's there. He's just inside working with trainers on on a treadmill or or on a bike or whatever it may be. We should have asked. I'm not I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not sure why we didn't ask. It kind of just hit me while I was prepping for the show. Like, did it? And maybe somebody did, and I just missed it. I'm not positive we asked, and I, I don't know the answer to that question. But it is concerning because if he's not out there, you don't really have a great guy in terms of a bully blocking tight end. That's going to be a plus player on those heavy packages and on those run plays where you're trying to just dominate the line of scrimmage. He needs to be out there. And I'm sure the expectation is that he will be, but we've not heard anything along those lines with Christian Fulton. It's weird. Okay. Mike Vrabel said yesterday that Christian Fulton is here, which we knew. And he said that we imagine he'll be ready for training camp. So does that mean he's dealing with an injury right now? Does that like, like cloud house ENT mentioned a couple of minutes ago, like is Fulton holding it? He's not holding in. I, I don't think that that's the case for what a contract. It, it's not, it's not happening. Um, or is he injured from all the yoga? I don't know if he's dealing with an injury or if he maybe there's another opportunity here for, for us to forget. He could just not be conditioned up. Like they could just be working on getting his conditioning up and that's why he's not out there. But if that's the case, why wouldn't Vrabel just come out and make it simple and be like, he doesn't have an injury. He's just not out here yet. We'll see him at camp, right? I, I don't know why he didn't do that if it's not for um, the fact that he's dealing with some injury. Maybe it's soft tissue. Paul Karski tried to ask him that question on Wednesday. Mike Vrabel was not interested in answering that question, to say the least. So uh, as we mentioned on Wednesday, the Christian Fulton vibes are still low. And I think this is last year with the team, if he even plays the year. He, he is, I think, the, the number one trade Peace trade target on this team. Last thing we have to mention before we could talk about the DeAndre Hopkins tweet is a new hire. The Titans announced uh, it was announced yesterday on Twitter. And then today they formally announced it to us uh, via email that the analytics department has grown. The Tennessee Titans have hired Sarah Bailey as their director of football research and development in the email sent to us by Titans uh, research and development, I suppose. 
They said that Bailey joins the Titans after spending six years with the Rams and in their analytics department. She originally joined the Rams as a football analyst in 2017 and was promoted to manager of football analytics in 2020. In her role with the Titans, Bailey will lead the analytics department, which will provide information to assist the coaching staff and scouting departments, both college and pro. A mathematics major at the University of the Pacific, Bailey also competed on the tracking uh, cross-country teams as an athlete for the Tigers. She went on to earn her master's degree in statistics from Simon Fraser University in Canada. So it it seems like I think we can put a nail in the coffin uh, on this topic. The analytics caveman for the Titans for, for so long was John Robinson and not Mike Vrabel. This is yet another swing in the direction of John Robinson. Like, hey, dude, it was your fault that the Titans weren't big up on analytics. And we kind of assumed that at the time. I know, I think it was Kevin Clark over at the ringer. Apologies if I'm, if I'm giving the wrong credit to the wrong person here, but I think it was Kevin Clark who a couple of years ago met with John Robinson when he was still the GM of the Tennessee Titans and asked him about analytics and how he uses them. And John Robinson said to him, Hey, you want to see my analytics department? And, and Kevin was like, yeah, absolutely. And John goes, here they are. It's me. He was the whole analytics department. And for the longest time, he we know for a fact on the record, he was the Titans whole analytics department. Not great because he's an analytics caveman and he's he's an eye test old school football guy, it seems. And the Titans seem to be going in a different direction, which is good news. It's good news. They should be balancing uh, maybe some of Mike Vrabel's deep, deeply ingrained caveman eye test tendencies, old school football tendencies, which. I, I love, I respect, like I'm a caveman in that way too, to an extent, but then balancing that 50, 50 with, Hey, Rand Carthen, more forward thinking for an office guy, more interested in the analytics coming from a team that is heavy on analytics out there in the Bay area. Let's marry those ideas. And, and like Rand Carthen has said a number of times, that's what they're trying to do. All right. That is all in terms of mini camp wrap up and Titans news. So let's talk about Twitter for a minute. And maybe this is the moment you've all been waiting for today. It's certainly the moment I've been waiting for. Um, uh, la last question. I'm so sorry. Let me, let me answer this question in the chat from Cloudhouse ENT. As of today, do the Titans roster three quarterbacks? Yes, absolutely they do. I think that they, they keep all three guys. If you let one of Levis or um, uh, Malik Willis go to the uh, practice squad, you're going to lose him. Another team is going to scalp him from you. You're not going to be able to protect him forever, and he's going to, to be lost. Um, that being said, I, I do think that there's a chance they don't, if they just really fall in love with one of those two guys and the other guy kind of falls by the wayside in training camp right now, I'd say it's a 95 to five split of will keep three, won't keep three. So I would lean heavily towards them keeping three. All right. So let's talk about this tweet. I accidentally broke Titans Twitter earlier this morning, and it really has made my day. Um, if you know anything about me, you know I'm big on sarcasm. Uh, like I, I love, I love parody, I love satire, I love sarcasm because it's the funny things in life that make life worth living. Maybe not to get too deep, but like life is hard enough, and um, people like should embrace fun. I didn't realize how many people. We're allergic to fun on Twitter, but I guess that's sort of the nature of Twitter at times, unfortunately, some of its, its worst nature. I tweeted this out today. I said, if you're, if you're not watching and you're just listening, I, I tweeted out a video and the, the caption was the idea of Deandre Hopkins is nice, but upon further review of his 2020, 2022 film, it's clear he's washed. 
Nobody should be foolish enough to pursue this player who is clearly on the decline, simply not worth the risk. And that was the caption for a video that if you spent 10 seconds watching, you realize that the caption was satire. It was a joke. It was making fun of people that actually think these things about DeAndre Hopkins, that he's lost a step, that he's washed, that he's old news, that he's over the hill. Because it's a, a highlight clip that I put together myself on my phone of the very best DeAndre Hopkins clips from last season in 2022, of which there are a number. It's like 14 plays, a minute and a half long. There's a lot to love about what he did last year. He's not washed. Anybody that watches his his play from last year can realize this guy still absolutely has some left in the tank, maybe a lot left in the tank, and he absolutely could bring a lot to this Titans team. Well, some folks on Twitter didn't watch the video, um, and some folks, even worse than that, watched it and still didn't think it was funny when it objectively and clearly is DeAndre Hopkins himself found it, and that's why it's blown up. It's a video I made this morning, and then by lunchtime, it had 1.5 million views, which is pretty absurd. But DeAndre Hopkins noticed this tweet, initially tweeted about it, and said, yeah, I'm washed with the shh emoji. Then I think he realized that it was a joke, and within a couple of minutes, deleted that original tweet, then liked my tweet and the video, and then reposted the video with these three dots. Um, just dot, dot, dot ellipses. And um, I got a number of, of comments and replies and quote tweets that I just felt like sharing. And again, this is juvenile. It's silly, but it's a Friday afternoon. Let's have a little fun, right? This is just a little bit of fun on the on the Twitter timeline. And some of the, the, the very best comments I've aggregated here to talk about. Um, so here at Jimbo the Goat says, LOL, just talked your way into D-Hop not coming to Tennessee from the rest of the league. Thank you. At Tippy Tappy 89 says your sarcasm just scared D hop away. Great job. These were my favorite genre of, of these tweets. People that genuinely think or thought that my tweet, my silly little tweet from a guy who Deandre Hopkins does not know or care about has any bearing on where he lands. Twitter is not the real world folks. It's, it's really not. You shouldn't take yourself so seriously on Twitter because it's it's a funhouse mirror reflection of how the world really works and how society really is. Unless DeAndre Hopkins is super petty and super just foolish and dumb, in my opinion, which I don't think that he is. I, I think pretty highly of him as a person that that's not going to factor into his decision making. But some folks really do think that I ruined their favorite team's chances of landing DeAndre Hopkins, to which I'll say. If you genuinely think a player um, wouldn't come to play for your favorite team because of a silly tweet from a guy he doesn't know that covers the team in question, you shouldn't want that guy on your team, man. That that person is a is a child. <laughs> that person needs to grow up. That person has some security issues. Uh, let's talk about some other ones. These these were particularly aggressive. These these ones hurt, man. At Alex Giles one seven two. Um, I said that DeAndre Hopkins got it, which he clearly did based on, on how he behaved. I also had some, some folks that did some internet sleuthing for me, which I appreciate. They sent me examples in the past of DeAndre Hopkins tweets that he enjoys tweets that are, uh, he quote tweets that are positive about him. He puts, so apparently it's his thing to put ellipses when he likes a tweet. 
Um, so if that is the, the case and they found like four or five examples of him doing that for like DeAndre Hopkins gives to charity, DeAndre Hopkins, um, monster game. Like that's been the way that he handles quote tweeting things that he wants to just repost. Right. So I think he appreciates my tweet. Um, Bethany King, or excuse me, Alex Giles says, I doubt that DeAndre Hopkins got it. Stupid post, but not surprised from you. Alex sounds upset. I don't think he's a huge fan of mine. At uh, Bethany, 122-38542 says, man, you better stop this all caps crap. You better hope he signs Sunday or you got some question marks to answer. Like I'm going to be the one that has to answer to Bethany about why DeAndre Hopkins didn't come to the Titans. Also, she puts a deadline on it, man. He's got to sign on Sunday when he visits the team. I wouldn't hold your breath on that, Bethany. Michael Schoenfield at Schoen or Schoen WH commented three or four times. It really got in his feels. Michael, take a deep breath, buddy. He said, you saw, he's one of the people that this is just sad in my opinion. It's not that he didn't get it. He got it and was alarmed by this, took it very seriously. Let's not take ourselves so seriously, people. That's no way to live your life, okay? Let's let's never take yourself too seriously. No one likes somebody that takes themselves too seriously. Michael said, you saw Hopkins reply to this. Ideally, you do some damage control here. I don't know what damage there is. To, da controlling that the, the damage of him understanding the joke of the tweet. He also said, go make things right with Hopkins. Like I, like I personally affronted DeAndre Hopkins. Like I speak for the Titans on, on their behalf in the DeAndre Hopkins discussions. Uh, he'd apostrophe D this post and retweeted, uh, Oh, dot, dot, dotted. I see that he turned dot, uh, ellipses into a, a verb. Okay. He ellipsed this post and retweeted, maybe add an update or edit, uh, or, or, uh, this is not great English on his part because this sarcasm doesn't translate well, clearly based on the responses. I disagree. It translates well to everybody that spent 10 seconds watching the video and it didn't translate to anybody that didn't watch the video. Um, and apologizing is don't ever apologize on Twitter. It's dumb unless you do something that truly hurts somebody. If somebody on Twitter is demanding you apologize 10 times out of 10, maybe 9.9 .9 times out of 10, don't apologize. Uh, let's see. Peter Fence here. Uh, just say hi. I'm stupid. Dom says you're a broadcaster and don't even know football. Go find a new job, bud. Love that one at Lil Aiden 2X. You just ruined our chances, dummy. Oh, another one of the guys that think that, that my tweet has any bearing on where DeAndre Hopkins goes? Uh, D Hop just called you out by retweeting the video. Apparently, better come clean to him and explain how you have shitty sarcasm. Um, I think my sarcasm is is pretty strong, actually. If you if you if you spent five seconds watching that clip and read that tweet and didn't get it, I got bad news for you, boss. That's on you. Like that that's that's a you problem. It is so unbelievably clear. Mother Lover Jones says, never trust a dude. Never trust what a dude says that looks like Freddie from my Carly, which is a funny one. I appreciate that one. That's a good, that's a good one. Uh, I did in, in middle school. I looked a lot middle and high school. I looked a lot like Freddie from my Carly. So I got that one quite a bit. Appreciate that comp. Uh, he, if you've seen Nathan Cress uh, as an adult now, he, he glowed up. So I'll take it. Um, at Desmond, the artist, please, for the love of God, never publish anything football related again. Would not bank on it, Des. Dot says, why do they even allow some of you idiots to cover sports? You absolutely know nothing about LOL. Okay. Larsky, it's always dudes that have never played football in their life that point at the film to judge players. LOL, it's so funny. Clearly, he didn't actually watch the film, but he should probably watch the film. 
Um, and I also, I played football in elementary school. How dare you? I've, I've, I played a lot of football until I reached the sixth grade when all good football players stopped playing football. Uh, AJ Johnson says at Easton freeze is talking out the side of his neck. Never heard of that one. He is named after a baseball company and a weather condition. Fair, funny. Stop it. And then Aaron, finally, good job, bro. May have caught not only cost us DeAndre Hopkins, us again, people think that I, I'm not covering the team, but a fan of the team. I, co I cover the team, folks. May have just cost us the division, the whole division. DeAndre Hopkins is the difference between winning and losing the division. That's a fun one. Um, appreciate everybody that had a good laugh with me on that front. Uh, I see Kenneth in the comments here. D-Hop cares more about the numbers on his paycheck than the number of likes on Easton's tweet. Yeah, I'd say just a little bit, just a little. Jacob says, send DeAndre some baked cookies. We can still fix this. I'm sure he's uh, weeping and crying and rolling around on the floor because of my tweet. And then Kenneth says, and probably goes largely unnoticed until the actual DeAndre Hopkins name searches your tweet. This is true. Um, I do think that that is a big part of the why. It has millions of views at this point. Jacob, last comment here. So it's always it's always dummies on Twitter and try hard to accuse people of never having played football. It's true. You could you always get the vibe from those folks that they themselves never played football um, because it's 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 the it's it, you know who it comes out the most for the Mina Kimes of the world, the women in, in in sports media, and it's always like, well, not only are you a woman, but you didn't you didn't even play football clearly. So why why should I take you? Bozo, bozo takes. Ignore these people. Um. Jake, thanks for the love, man. Thought it was a perfect tweet for the situation. Can't believe people take that much time to be negative. Hey, baby, en en enragement is engagement. And again, Twitter is a funhouse mirror. When when parody starts to become reality, which is the only reason why my tweet was taken seriously by some folks, because our world is so crazy, because sports media is so crazy at this point, that there are people who tweet these kinds of things, like Jared Stillman, for example, and they mean them. And they work full time in sports media. It's their job and their, their take is that outlandish, that ridiculous, that clearly designed to be provocative, that, that it's kind of believable that that kind of thing would be out there. If you know me, it's not believable, but if you don't know me, I totally get before you watch the video being like, this is probably a real person. This guy's maybe a reporter and may actually think this, um, uh, a quick, quick question from Brian Speavy. Is media going to be on site for the Sunday? No, we will not. We'll not be there. Next time we'll be there, I think, is next week for OTAs, assuming Mike Ribble does not cancel them. Uh, that's not really a thing. We would be there if they signed him for a press conference, but not for the visit. That'll be a, a private situation. Um, speaking of the, the last thing we'll talk about on today's show, just to kind of get the news out of the way, DeAndre Hopkins is visiting the Titans on Sunday. We know that. We reported that on Wednesday. But it was uh, announced today that his second free agency tour visit is going to be with the Patriots later next week. I forget the exact day or if it was even published, but I know next week he is. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Brian, anytime uh, he said that the, the Patriots are his next stop at some point next week. It's really funny to me, this idea that the me in media, sometimes we, we take things that one or two people say very confidently or just sound right to us and run with them as fact. And this idea that DeAndre Hopkins, you know, he's, he's got his list of top five quarterbacks he like to play for. He's got a list of a manifesto out there of, of the things that he's looking for in his new team. And people thinking that this guy is interested in more than just the money, which I don't mean in a negative way. There's nothing wrong with just your number one criteria for finding your new landing spot being the money for most of us in our jobs. That's the case, right? You, more money. That's good. That's you're trying to climb the ladder. You're trying to earn more for football players. It's a lot of money, but it's a very limited window of their lives when they can earn that money. 
right? DeAndre Hopkins is considered an old man and he's in his early thirties. I, I really hope in real life, I'm not considered an old man when I'm 31 years old. Um, but in football, that's the way that it works. I think that the fact that we ran with all this, oh, it's the chiefs. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the bills. Maybe, uh, you know, the, the Browns sneaky competitive team. What contender is he going to go play for man? You know, D Dallas, Dallas could use them. CD lamb and, and Deandre Hopkins fan of that. Right. The lions, maybe they, Hey, they could, they got some dudes that are suspended for gambling in the building. Maybe we can have him come in and, and make this uh, offense truly unbeatable. All of those competitive teams, not the first two teams brought up or actually being visited by Hopkins himself. He's going to the Titans who most in, in national circles considered to be non-competitive this year. And the Patriots who are kind of in that same boat. It's the money folks. It's, it's the money, which again, there's nothing wrong with, but the number one thing that he's interested in is the money. I think is is fair. And may, maybe it's the money in, in, in addition to some other things that are lower down on most people's list of things for him, but are higher on his like coaches. He respects opportunity, right? With both of these teams, he'd immediately be the number one target on that team. He'd be the number one wide receiver in the position group. Maybe that's what he wants. Maybe he wants to be the alpha. Maybe he wants to be the leader. Maybe he wants to get an outsized target share and not have to share with other alphas like CD lamb, for example, or, 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 uh, or, uh, Stefan Diggs up in Buffalo. Like all of these things can come into play. And we've talked about them on this show ad nauseum repeatedly. I think that there's more and more indication now that, Hey, psst, psst, it's the money. And it's, it's not necessarily about the best quarterback or contending right away. There are more things that go into this. Like Jacob says in the comments, straight cash homie. Brian points out if I was D hop Titans wouldn't be on the list of teams to sign to. If I was him this late in his career and I'm a huge Titans fan, maybe, maybe not for you, but, but maybe it is the case for him. We won't know. I will say the last thing I wouldn't expect any resolution on this anytime soon. I don't think that it's going to be one of those things where he signs in the next week or two. I'd be expecting a signing sometime mid to late July when you get closer to training camps. All right. That is going to do it for us today. Went a little bit long, but had a lot to talk about. Appreciate everybody tuning in live. Really, really helpful um, for our numbers when you do that. So thank you. If you are listening via podcast or on YouTube, do us a quick favor. Throw a like on that YouTube video. Throw a uh, five-star rating and a, then a review of whatever you'd like to say on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. We will read those five-star reviews out on the show. Whatever you have to say, even if self-promote yourself, man. Hey, here's my, here's my Twitter handle. Tell people to go follow me. We will. We will. Absolutely. So please go and do that until Monday when producer JT will be back and we'll be talking Titans once again. Not sure what topic yet. Maybe we start to get into our rookie deep dive. Maybe we uh, have a guest. I don't know. We'll, we'll play it by ear. But until Monday morning, I'm your host, Easton Freeze. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. Have a great and fun weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.